All right. One last big swig of water, as you yeah, said. Yeah, that's what it yeah, is, water. water. <laughs> Go ahead and take your speed up. your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. My name is Hal Bryan and I'm the senior editor at EAA for print and digital content publications. And like my two buddies, my two co-hosts, uh, I'm coming to you in, during a pandemic week uh, from an undisclosed location near Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So uh, let's see, I'm facing east, so uh, I know off to uh, my left, bit north of me, it is Mr. It's Chris Henry. I'm the Museum <laughs> Programs Coordinator, uh, talking to you live from my underground bunker. <laughs> Excellent. Sealed in tight. Yes. And then uh, <laughs> south of us a bit, uh, here he comes. Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. All right. Well, it's been a while since the three of us have uh, have uh, done an episode all together, number one. And, it, and number two, it's been a while since uh, any of us have had any sort of human contact of any kind <laughs> other than our, our spouses or significant others. So this is uh, this is I'm, kind of fun to get together. I and miss you, And we should Al. point out that, uh, <laughs> that uh, producer Ty is masterminding all of this from uh, his undisclosed location over the Internet. But it is, of course, thanks to the magic of the Internet that we're able to do this. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Hal, I, I, I miss you. <laughs> Hold me, Chris. <laughs> All right. Oh, wait, but from six feet or more. From six uh, feet, yes. Yeah. A, a distance of at least six feet. <laughs> so what we had, uh, what we were kicking around, what we thought we'd do is, you know, we've done uh, uh, a couple episodes in the past where we uh, we got the three of us together and started talking about some of our favorite aviation movies, TV shows, things like that. And uh, we always made all these notes in advance, and we have these really fun episodes, and people seem to like them. But then uh, then we look at the notes afterwards. Oh, wow, we didn't mention this one or that one or this one or that one. So uh, uh, Ty has uh, titled this uh, this episode Green Dot Movies 3, the sequel to the sequel. So uh, so let's dive in and talk about uh, you know what have uh, what have you guys seen what's uh, what are some of your favorites that we we haven't talked about in previous episodes? Anybody want to dive in? Well, I see one that I, I definitely want to jump in on. I just uh, saw it on our list, and that's uh, Speed and Angels. Oh and, yeah. And I've got to start with that simply because our friend Megan is one of the stars of that movie, and um, I, I have to say that's one of the. I was literally starstruck. That's the first time I ever was starstruck by meeting somebody. I think like in a documentary or something like that, but. Uh, what a cool just role model and inspirational person uh, she is if you've seen that film uh, she's even cooler in person than she is in the film absolutely our our buddy Vargas out there maybe she's even listening and <laughs> and uh, and will enjoy the shout out and make a donation um, or just you know say hey that'd be cool too <laughs> Uh, so if you haven't seen it, Speed and Angels, a terrific documentary uh, that follows uh, follows Megan. And then I'm drawing a blank on her sort of classmate's name. But uh, the two people through uh, through uh, uh, basically through F-14 training. Right. And, and career yeah. qualifications and everything else. And uh, I, I think what I loved about um, uh, a guy named Paco. I always mess up his last name. Paco Chikari, says Harry, uh, was uh, was sort of the brains behind it. And uh, he's a naval aviator, fighter pilot as well. And uh, obviously he gets it. And the, the, the drama that you see is not manufactured. It's not fake. It's all, it's all real. And when, you know, poor Megan is sitting there, 
you know, working on those, the, the uh, night operations in particular, you're just pulling your hair out and, you know, rooting for her so hard and just thinking, God, what, you know, this just looks impossible. <laughs> well, and the one thing that I thought was cool is, you know, for those who, who maybe haven't seen this is so Megan set out with a dream, not of just flying naval aircraft, but one specific one. She wanted to fly the Grumman F-14 Tomcat. And it was literally down so close to the wire because it's when the aircraft were in their sunset cruises that she was in the last class to ever train to fly the airplane. I mean, that was it. It was going away. And, I mean, that's how close she almost missed out. It was one of her lifelong dreams. And, uh, I mean, those are pretty long odds to get not only into the military but into fighters, into a... You know, a, a realm that you want to fly in, but to actually get the specific airframe that you want to fly. Right. Um, and, you know, when you, when she tells that story, she talks about she was, what, 10 years old and she saw Top Gun. And, uh, you know, of course, that was it. She wanted to, uh, wanted to fly. And, and, you know, God bless her for wanting to be Tom Cruise instead of Kelly McGillis. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, choosing that right role model. But that was, if I'm remembering the timing correctly, when she would have been 10 years old, I, I think at that moment at least, you know, we didn't have female fighter pilots. Yeah. And yeah, the, if, if we did, it was very, very new. But I think that at that moment that we didn't. But, you know, she tells that great story. Hey, I just went to my parents and said, I want to do this. And they said, okay, well, let's let's figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And her parents actually went to, uh, in their school, met with a guidance counselor. And at that time, uh, female fighter pilots were not allowed. And they told her that, they told, the, the guidance counselor told her parents that. And... They went home and never told her the truth because they're like, if anybody can do this, it's Megan, and we're not going to squash her dreams. And uh, that's 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 pretty cool parenting. I I'll be honest, and I would say that if I looked uh, Megan in the eye, I would be terrified to say no to anything. There's no way I'm <laughs> no, going to tell true. her. You know, <laughs> sorry, but uh, no, you can't do that. Well, yeah. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. I would not lay down the challenge in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd just say that, um, you know, we we had a great podcast with her that day. But, um, you know, that evening she gave a uh, she gave kind of a prepared talk for the museum speaker series um, with Chris. And uh, the story that she told about being in combat for the first time, I believe in Iraq, um, was was really powerful, you know, because you, you talk about how, you know, you want to fly the F-14 maybe, you know, kind of because it's a really cool job and you don't think about it as necessarily going into it as, you know, being this serious warrior role that you have to fill. Um, and then kind of how that hits you, uh, when you go into combat for the first time and you realize that there are lives at stake, um, you know, dropping a bomb in combat, that was really powerful. Crazy powerful stuff. So recommendation out there, out there. Uh, we all agree. If you haven't seen Speed and Angels, check it out, and then uh, and then come back and listen to the uh, the Green Dot episode that we did with uh, with Megan. Um, just boy, terrific, uh, terrific stuff. So uh, okay, well, there's one down. We've got about 300 more to go um, on this uh, 47 part series. You know, the next uh, uh, documentary that comes to my mind is actually. Um, I'll, I'll throw two in real quick. I don't know if either of you guys have seen the second one. You might have seen the first, but uh, a, a good buddy of mine, Paul Glenshaw, uh, and his uh, his producing partners, uh, they did a documentary called Barnstorming, uh, which uh, we recently screened in the uh, in our museum at our Skyscape Theater back when people would leave their houses and go places and sit in big <laughs> rooms together. Um, 
And then later, Paul and another partner, again, uh, Derek Greer, did uh, documenting on the uh, Lafayette Escadrille, which had its uh, world premiere uh, last fall. That'd be fall of 2019 as we're recording this. So very quickly, barnstorming, if you, if you guys haven't uh, seen it. I thought maybe you had, Chris. I couldn't remember. I have. Yeah, I've, I've seen it too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you have. Oh, terrific. Okay, it's it is a little bit more obscure, but boy, it is well worth uh, well worth tracking down. And and basically, you've got uh, uh, you have Andrew King, who's uh, another guy who's been on the on the podcast, as a matter of fact. And uh, as a you know vintage pilot, one of these guys who flies everything old and old and low and slow. And he and a buddy are out flying around one day, and um, they claimed that they had uh, a little bit of engine trouble. But what actually happened was they saw this cool field with this neat old tractor and, you know, big rolls of hay and stuff. And they just wanted to land their airplanes in this field and take pictures real quick. So they land there and then the farmer comes out and they, they tell him their little lie about engine trouble and things like this. And, uh, and then it turns out he's pretty cool. He thinks the airplanes are cool and they get to be friends. And, uh, they decide that every year on that date, uh, they'd fly in and, and land and visit, uh, visit this, uh, this farmer and his family. It's one of these big, you know, big farmhouses, big, beautiful spread, great family and stuff. So it becomes the whole community comes out and, and they'll get, you know, six or eight, 10, 10 airplanes. It's not a public fly in, but it's sort of invitation only fly in land in the field. And, you know, there's, there's music and entertainment, of course, and food all day. And so the barnstorming documentary just captures, uh, captures all that uh, beautifully. I, I always describe it as kind of a, a gentle and warm and very endearing movie because it, it really is. You watch it and you just think, you know, I want to be friends with all of these people. I want to go and have an experience like that. And there's, you know, there's no, uh, there's no sort of, you know, reality TV nonsense or anything in it. It's just a good, warm story. It kind of reminded me of... I had to explain it to a few people when we were going to screen it for the movie, and I basically told them it was like Field of Dreams with airplanes, and uh, I think that tried to get the message across, or it's this, um, you know, just this neat, like you said, sort of down-home group of people that want to come out and see airplanes, and and I like what you said, you know, I loved how they show, like, the community, like, there's people sitting on, like, bleachers and stuff, just, like, waiting for the airplanes to show up. Right. And it's not an, you know, it's not an air show. It's not a, a, you know, big public event or anything. I think they, you know, it's probably somebody goes up and goes up to altitude, does some aerobatics and, you know, toilet paper cutting and stuff like that. And there's probably a, you know, some friendly ride hopping that goes on, but it's, uh, it, it, at its core, it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's people just landing in a, in a field and visiting with this, uh, this terrific family. And the, the tagline on the, the, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something about, you know, how uh, when your friends literally drop out of the sky and how cool that yeah, is. Yeah, the thing I really like oh, about awesome. that story is that it's, you know, for a lot of us who have friends in aviation and, um, you know, especially people who like, you know, might live on a small farm strip or something like that. Uh, this is not an atypical story for a lot of pilots. And I think that's really cool about it is that, it, you know, to the casual observer, it is kind of remarkable. But uh, to the rest of us, um, you know, a lot of us have maybe not stories quite like that, but, but something similar that, uh, that we can touch on and, and identify with in there. Sure. Yeah. We've, we've all got friends. I mean, I, as a little kid, I lived on a little private grass airstrip and that concept of, uh, you know, people literally – you know, literally just dropping in to visit and things like that wasn't foreign, but, um, but this, uh, 
I think you hit on something important there, there, uh, Tom, that this movie sort of does a good job of laying that out and showing the 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 person who's not familiar with, who's not the person who doesn't have the strong maybe grassroots aviation background, that hey, this is what this community is. These are who these people are, and you know, I don't want to get too uh, you know too jingoistic and stand and salute or anything, but honestly, I think this is. Uh, this type of thing that you see in that film, it's it's Americana at its very best. Yeah, it absolutely is. All right, so I'd mentioned that uh, uh, Paul had done uh, uh, another documentary more recently on the Lafayette Escadrille, and uh, that's when we actually screened a, uh, uh, a preview version of it at AirVenture uh, in, must have been 2019, uh, last year. But uh, anyway... Um, I'm a little, I'm not entirely sure what the widespread availability is. I know that they were screening, doing festivals and things, and they still even had a few edits after the world premiere last fall. But uh, let me just say it's well worth, uh, well worth checking out. Um, they got, uh, they got some World War I replicas uh, and shot a lot of really good stuff to sort of recreate things. Um, telling the story of um, the American pilots who uh, in World War I, um, before the U.S. was in the war, you know, went over, uh, were able to form uh, form a squadron or an escadrille or escadrille if you prefer in France and uh, you know and get in and and as they wanted to be they believed in the cause and they wanted to, to fight the good fight um, one of the most incredible things that that uh, to me that comes out of that story two things maybe side by side one is how much the French people still uh, still revere uh, those those American pilots who did it and how well they're still acquainted with that history. And that's something we often lose, I think, in this country. Um, but in in France, people look back and, they, you know, they can still name names and they, they still uh, have a very special place in their hearts for them and for, uh, you know, for for Americans in general because of because of that contribution and of course them being named after Lafayette was such a nice nod to our own revolutionary war era history but the other thing that comes out of it is that they talk to a, a gentleman who is a fourth generation American fighter pilot which is just so hard to wrap my head around so his what does that mean his great grandfather flew in the Lafayette escadrille and his grandfather uh, would have been uh, Army Air Corps and his father was Air Force and he's Air Force and I think flew flew or flies F-15s. Wow. Isn't That's that just, incredible. just mind-boggling? And not only they not only have four generations in a row of people that are, you know, maybe interested in aviation or somehow involved, or four generations who served in uniform isn't unusual. But four generations of American of actual American fighter pilots is mind-blowing. So great film. Uh when you get a chance, well worth a watch. You know, I absolutely actually learned something uh uh, from watching this, as I was I was uh, talking with him about it, and he kind of sent me uh, some because uh, we're hopefully gonna get back to normal life and actually be able to show this in the film uh, uh, in the Skyscape Theater in the movie uh, theater here in the museum eventually. That's but, right. I'd I'd forgotten you'd communicated with him about about planning that. So yeah. So apologies. I was assuming that you, nobody had seen it because it wasn't widely released. But well, I haven't seen it. I, I just oh, okay. saw part of it. He gave me like a little trailer. And and one of the gentlemen in the film is this guy named William Thaw, and I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I found out he's from my hometown, and he's buried in a cemetery like ten minutes from my hometown, from my house. No kidding. Like, yeah, like I, I when I go home next time, I totally want to go and try to like look up and read more about him, and uh, just uh, an amazing guy. Wow, oh, that is incredible. 
So well, while we're on the subject of the uh, Lafayette Escadrille, do we want to talk about uh, Flyboys real quick? Sure. Yeah. Um, that uh, uh, airplane or that airplane. <laughs> That's an airplane about <laughs> movies, right? <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, it's all this social isolation and, uh, and distancing. So that movie had its uh, premiere at Oshkosh in, I want to say, 2006. Um, it was uh, before I started work at EAA, but, uh, but I remember being in the, uh, the Eagle Hangar uh, for the, the premiere screening. And... You know, I'll be honest and say a little bit of a mixed, uh, mixed response. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, I, I really appreciate the fact that they built a small air force uh, for the movie. Um, you know, a lot of re- a lot right. of really cool replicas were used in there. But, yeah, the, the plot is uh, is a little lacking, I think, a little over the top. Um, yeah. Well, and it's one of those two that sort of the hybrid pictures where you've got you've got some uh, some some real airplanes flying. I mean, they're they're replicas, but they are real airplanes, and uh, and some of that stuff is just jaw dropping, just gorgeous. And in and, and to me, it's it's kind of analogous to Pearl Harbor in that way, where the CG gets to be a little bit bloated and over the top, and you know, and maybe a bit, and maybe more and more unrealistic. But uh, you know, show me that nice you know nice shots of a of a, a Newport over the, the trees at dawn yeah. or something like that. Um, and it's, uh, and it's gorgeous. And, you know, I, I think uh, we, I know we've talked about Pearl Harbor in one of our recent ep- or previous episodes on this topic. And it's, it's like anything else. Like, uh, filmmakers look at, at something like, you know, as you said, Tom, the Lafayette Escadrille or just air aerial combat in world war one or the attack on Pearl Harbor. And, and they can't resist that temptation to say, you know, how do we, uh, well, how do we take all this uh, amazing stuff that happened in history and we'll make it interesting? Well, we need a love story and we need, you know, we need sort of drama on the ground and stuff. And I get the, the idea that you put human faces on things. But, uh, but sometimes, you know, you can just tell the story of what happened and that's, that's yeah, interesting it, enough. Mean, the big part of the plot that always has been a pet peeve for me with a lot of, um, you know, movies about real events is where they create kind of a facsimile of a of a real character in history but then they insert it into a story with like an american unit so like they have this red baron style character um who i don't believe existed in real life but you know we have to have the americans uh you know defeat this uh this you know particular german ace you know for who, who all intents and purposes is the red baron right um it's kind of the same complaint I have with that movie. I know this is a sailing movie, not a flying movie, but Master and Commander, the Russell Crowe movie. Um, you know, in the book, oh, that's actually set during the War of 1812, and the bad guys are the are the Americans, the American Navy. And they had to make it a French boat in order for American audiences to accept that movie, which I always thought was – like, we yeah, can't stand we... to see ourselves as you – know, I, I don't know. It, it, yeah. <laughs> Dang right. <laughs> yeah. Because America. Uh, that is pretty that is pretty interesting because I I, I I think we see such I don't want to get too philosophical and I sure don't want to get political, yeah. but I think we see extremes in this country that we are as um as self critical as just about as just about anybody. I mean, we are willing to to go to such great lengths to say we do this wrong and we do that wrong and we do this wrong and we do that wrong and then you have something like that where it's you know it's uh, we got to right. make the bad guys the french because 
Um, another example of, of taking, uh, you know, taking a bit of history and then, um, you know, sort of slapping a different story on it. I, we might have talked about this one in an earlier episode. I was just skimming the list here, but there was the, um, the movie that was just called The Red Baron. And uh, you had Joseph Fiennes and I'm drawing a blank on the other, uh, the other characters. Now, the woman played Sarah Connor in the Terminator, uh, Terminator TV series. Um, but anyway, you had uh, Joseph Fiennes was Roy Brown, then a German actor as, uh, as, as Von Richthofen. And then uh, the female lead was a, a nurse. Um, and they had to make a love triangle out of it. So somehow Roy Brown and Manfred von Richthofen are somehow dating the same woman <laughs> and somehow in love with her because they're in a hospital. And, and then of course it, you know, it, it continues the probably discredited story that Roy Brown defeated the red Baron by shooting him down. even though I've seen enough evidence at this point, it probably was the Australian, uh, uh, sort of anti-aircraft, uh, anti-aircraft unit that actually actually got him. But certainly, Brown and Richthofen dogfighted and, and or dogfought. What's the past tense? Yeah, I don't know. I don't... What is they the past f- tense? They they fought like dogs in they the skies over the Somme. <laughs> they, they had a dogfight. There you go. Anyway, but uh, yeah, the idea that we've got to make this into uh, into a love triangle of some kind is <laughs> like, come on, you know, it it was interesting enough on its own. But then again. Uh, I'm, if you want to make a movie about history, if it gets more people interested, then, then to at least some degree or other, mission accomplished. Well, that's where I give Pearl Harbor. I mean, and it's it's got you know a lot of issues in it, but that was where I gave it some, you know, credit. Was there were people who were friends, like there were friends of mine who are not history people, not airplane people who came to me after seeing that and said, you know, that Doolittle raid, was that real? And, you know, I was like, well, my God, yeah, you know, and now here, go read 30 Seconds Over Tokyo or something like that. But right. at least at least people walked away with that getting maybe a little bit of info they didn't know. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true of any any broad stroke history thing. If it's if it's popular and it gets people excited, then then uh, I'm, I'm as big a pedant as you'll ever find. But I'll, I'll forgive a lot if it gets people interested. Yeah. Um, so, but speaking of that time frame uh, and and that theater of the war, since the last time we uh, we did one of these episodes, uh, we saw the big screen uh, big screen feature uh, Midway. So yeah. uh, directed by Roland Emmerich and people like uh, Aaron Eckhart uh, and Woody Harrelson and and things. Um, uh, Tom, refresh my memory. You did see that one. No, I haven't yet. Um, I'm, okay, I'm way behind on my you, movies. That's quite all right. We, you uh, watch it now. We'll wait. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but so Chris, I know you've uh, you've yeah. seen it. Why don't you lead us off what you thought of it? So you know what? Let me. I, I, it was kind of neat. I was actually back home in Pittsburgh uh, when it came out, and my uncle and I went to the first showing in Pittsburgh, and it was really neat because they gave you, it, you. You felt like you're kind of going to something special. They gave you um, this like like little pin that said midway and had the dates of the battle midway on it and stuff and uh it was just kind of a neat touch that you felt like you were kind of getting to see you know something uh, a bit special and um i thought it was great again you know are there some issues with you know some cgi stuff here and there yeah however you know they're creating airplanes that don't even exist i mean there's there are no devastators right. above the ocean you know um 
and they covered a lot. They did it in a way that I actually was skeptical of, and then uh, until I saw it, and then it was like, okay, well, they did it in a way that made sense. And um, again, like you and I were just talking about, what I thought was the coolest part is, is there were some kids in front of us, maybe late high school, early college, and the lights come up after the film, and I could hear them talking, and they've got, you know, they're turning their phones back on and stuff, and one of them is Googling uh, Dick Best, and another one was like, well, you know, what happened to McCluskey, and they, they're researching people that they just saw in this film, and I'm like, there's no way these people would be looking up Dick Best and McCluskey on a random, you know, Tuesday afternoon, um, if it wasn't for this film. So, I mean, right. that, that, that's, that's the power that the film does have. And, you know, this was, it was interesting. You hear that somebody like Roland Emmerich, um, I, I would say off the top of the uh, top of my head, probably best known for stuff like Independence Day, you know, sort of the, the popcorn blockbusters and stuff that he wanted to, that he was making this movie. And it seemed like, well, that's sort of odd. It came out of nowhere, but I'd read a little bit. He'd actually wanted to make this movie since the 90s. Wow. Uh, he was was working back then, you know, trying to get it done. So this has been a, a something that's been of interest to him for a long time. And, you know, I give him a lot of credit for, uh, I mean, not only getting it done, but making a, a big budget, uh, you know, overall, I think very enjoyable, very engaging, very watchable movie about uh, about uh, a fascinating period uh, in our history. Um, and generally speaking i think uh you know from a, a factual standpoint it's they hit the major beats and they hit them well um it's certainly uh, certainly higher production values and things uh, compared to the the 1970 was 76 version oh my charlton, gosh yeah charlton heston <laughs> certainly real real flying in uh in the 70s version but some some ridiculous airplane swap mistakes too there's <laughs> One point, I can't remember if it's when Heston is flying or somebody else, but but uh, a Dauntless gets shot up over the Pacific, and then we cut to uh, f- footage of an HE-111 going down in smoke, uh, you know, uh, from the Battle of Britain, and so they're you know reusing footage and swapping airplanes and stuff like that. So um, you talk about the flying in in Midway, the modern version, the 20, uh, 2019 version, um, you know, basically effectively all CG if, if I'm unless I'm forgetting something but as you said you know really cool to see a, a nicely you know nicely reconstructed squadron of devastators flying along when you know you and I have never seen one we've never yeah. seen one because they're as you said all at the bottom of the ocean yeah. um, so that part of it was cool the uh, there's a there's a couple of scenes with the uh, Dauntless flying that just really made me groan one that made me sort of laugh out loud when the dauntless goes off the end of the carrier and he's heavy and yes. slow and way behind the power curve and in real life you would have two fingers on the joystick uh, the control <laughs> stick for the airplane and you would be just the, the lightest possible touch trying to keep the nose down without hitting the water and building up speed and instead they show him he's almost got his feet on the instrument panel. He's pulling the stick as hard as he can, trying to like physically lift the airplane up off the water. And, you know, that stick would have all kinds of play in it. And if, if he had, yeah. you know, moved it two inches, he would have stalled and splashed. But uh, that doesn't, <laughs> you know, that doesn't translate to good drama. So they, 
you know, they took some liberties there. So I groan and roll my eyes, but then then you look at the, you know, rivet by rivet uh, detail on the 3D models. I know some of the armament on the Dauntlesses was, a, either the Dauntlesses or the Devastators was a little bit wrong. You know, it shouldn't have had both this bomb and that rack, that kind of a thing. But yeah. generally speaking, tons of detail. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and something else that I thought was kind of neat is, uh, is Lily Johnson on our team, her grandfather flew torpedo and dive bombers in World War II with the Navy. And this, you know, she came out with a total different view of it because she said that, you know, it gave her a little bit of an idea. I mean, granted, this was the Battle of Midway. He was not at Battle of Midway, but it gave her a little bit of an idea of the missions he flew and what they might have looked like, you know. And uh, I think as we get further and further away from having our World War II veterans here to tell us these stories firsthand, that films like this are, are more and more important to give people an idea of what people, you know, what folks in their own family did. I, I think that's really cool. Here, here. So, so here's a question for you guys. Um, you know, we're talking about Midway. We've talked about Pearl Harbor and, and a couple of other. Uh, let's keep it to World War II here. Um, what event, battle, etc., in World War II do you think either needs a remake or needs a movie? Ooh, that's a really good question. You know, I the, would. I, ahead, my Chris. first choice would be only because I like the this the, I like this first one, but it's also really bad, and it's the Flying Tigers. Um, because oh. the other the, the original Flying Tigers movie by John Wayne, it's pretty bad. <laughs> like, I mean, it's I like it. I'll watch it. I mean, but it's like he actually apologized to the Flying Tigers for it at one point. So. It'd be neat to see a, a flying, like an actual Flying Tigers or the Black Sheep Squadron or something like that. A real Black Sheep Squadron. But go ahead. And I'm just picturing the ghost of John Wayne just punching you right in the mouth <laughs> yeah, right that's now. It, but even though, as you said, he he uh, he wasn't especially proud of how it uh, how it turned out. So that's a that's a uh, boy, really good, really good choice, good call. You know, the one that came to my mind was uh, was kind of the opposite end of the of the scale, and I was. I, I don't know how much, if I want to say too much, because I know that uh, we've got a, a, a bit of a story in the works about this. But uh, there was a guy, um, uh, Army, uh, I think strictly an Army pilot. I don't know if he would have been technically Army Air Force's pilot, uh, flying an L-4 in Europe. And he earned the name uh, Bazooka Charlie because he mm. lashed yeah. bazookas onto the wings of his L-4 and he basically invented the A-10 at that point. He was flying his, <laughs> flying his Cub and, uh, and destroying tanks. And he's got a, uh, an absolutely fascinating story, both pre-war, during the war, after the war, all these things. Um, so, you know, I want to spoil anything that we might be uh, working on for one of the magazines. But, um, boy, that just, uh, to me, that just calls out for a movie because there were, you look at the old newspapers of the day and there was, you know, Bazooka Charlie got another tank, you know, chalk one up for Bazooka Charlie, that kind of thing. And just how, how crazy cool and, and innovative and just pure gutsy is that? That is wild. I, I couldn't imagine taking on a tank with an Elbert. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I think for me, um, well, one of them is actually being made right now. Um, that movie with Tom Hanks, the, was it the Seawolf? Is it? Um, the, the new one coming out? Oh, oh yeah, I just ship, saw a trailer yeah. for that, the, so that, the, the that, Navy movie. And that's about the Battle of the Atlantic, right? The, the right. Merchant Marine. So that's that's a really overlooked part of World War II that I'm glad is getting some attention. Um, so I'd say that. And then the the Battle of Britain movie is good, 
but I think you could tell a better story if you did it as a miniseries. And I think yeah, with, that's fair. And I think with the import, you know, given the importance of that moment to, um, you know, to the UK and you know a lot of other countries, you know, that are kind of in the Commonwealth, there, I, I think that would be worth retelling. Yeah, just I would be. Uh, I mean, that movie is so so dear to me. I know we talked about it in the very first episode, and you said miniseries, and I immediately thought of another one we discussed earlier. But a good reminder for people is Piece of Cake, which mm. uh, oh, yeah. most of it is sort of the the phony war prior to the Battle of Britain, but gets into the the Battle of Britain stuff. But there, you've got that very very you know very very gritty sort of no holds barred uh, kind of honest look at the at the pilots on the uh, you know on the British side and. Um, you know, as much about their sort of their their off hours antics as anything else. But uh, uh, an interesting point, Tom. The, the one reason I blanch a little bit at, at touching something like the Battle of Britain is just because you know you'll never see an air a movie made with that many real airplanes in it again. That's true. And it would inevitably become CG. But it's it, to me, it's one of the most important stories in military aviation history. You know, it came down to 700, uh, 700 people stopping the Germans. And, you know, I I think I said this before uh, when we talked about the the original Battle of Britain, but I, I don't know. I'd love to know what you guys think. But I think if the Battle of Britain had lost, if, if England had fallen and the Germans had bombed and had, excuse me, had invaded as planned, if they succeeded... I'm not sure we would have gotten in the war. I think we would have uh, we would have had some an uneasy peace with uh, with Hitler and Germany, and and would have had a cold war between those two superpowers. You're probably right. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, we'd we'd have nowhere to, for our bases in England, you know, and and I mean that so our bomber forces wouldn't have existed. Right. Um, yeah, and I I agree with you how that, that, that I mean it, it it would be almost trying to like remake Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo. You know, you're with with none of that hardware around, and, and well, Pearl Harbor tried that, Chris. It, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that's that, true. That Pearl really Harbor, well. <laughs> Pearl Harbor did that one. Well, you know, midway talked about the Doodle Ray too. So yeah, uh, but so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, there's that. Yeah. But but that would be another one that would be, you know, as you said, it, it's sort of that there was 30 seconds over Tokyo. The movie is sacrosanct, but, you know, wouldn't it be cool to 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 tell yeah. it a story like that the way we are able to tell stories now? It'd be, it'd uh, be cool to see if like that is a miniseries. Yeah. I mean, that would be neat. You know, Band yeah. of Brothers treatment or something. Right. Well, speaking of series um, with B-25s in them. How's that for a segue? I think since the last time we convened, uh, the Catch-22 series on Hulu uh, has come out. I don't think we covered that last time. Do you guys? No, uh, I don't, no, I don't think we did, yeah. I haven't seen it. I don't have Hulu, but, <laughs> yeah. So, I just saw yeah. small, par- small parts of it here and there, and uh, I plan on getting a chance to watch it, but it looked pretty cool. So it was, uh, you know... They did a lot with uh, with two B twenty fives versus the but the sixteen they had including in the original ours. movie, um, including ours, including yeah, the good old uh, Berlin Express. Um, but they uh, uh, it captured the tone of the original movie, I think, in a it, very very strongly, and that's that's either uh, an endorsement or a criticism, depending on on what you think of the original movie. Um, you know, 
for me personally, the original movie is a classic, but it's all about the 16 minutes of flying the B 25s. Yeah. And then of course some of the L five stuff and things like that. Um, the, the tone of the movie of the original is kind of, I don't know. It, it's, it's always trying so hard to be so bitter and so sarcastic. Just every second of it, it feels like you're sort of, they're sort of beating you over the head with it. Um, and that's, that's much more of a personal thing. So the, the Hulu series um, captures that sort of preposterous tone, the whole idea of a catch-22 and how impossible things are, uh, I think, very, very well. It's, you know, it's, it's not a series that I watched and said, boy, I fell in love with that and I want to spend more time in this world. You know, the series I watched, I said, okay, it's, you know, it, it's clever. It's very, very biting. It's it's actually very bitter in many ways, just like the original was. Um, some uh, some great flying with our friends, uh, the Hintons, Steve and uh, yeah. Steve. And Steve. <laughs> Steve-o. <laughs> um, and, you know, if, if, the, uh, if the story, if you know the story and the story is of interest to you, then, you know, dive in and you won't be, won't be disappointed. But it's definitely not... You know, you're not going to come out of it, uh, you know, sort of feeling like, boy, the, you know, it, it, it was touch and go there for a while, but the good guys won the, you know, sort of the right things happened. It's just, you come out of it just thinking everybody's, uh, everybody's unhappy and insane. And, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> just like the original. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As I said, it captured that tone of the original pretty well. On I got uh, to address the most miscast thing on this list and that is oh. Poncho Barnes yes. starring Valerie Bertinelli <laughs> right um, oh glad you brought that one up so that was uh, that was a made for TV movie um, I want to say about 1982 or so I'd have to double check the date so forgive me if I'm way off one way or another but yeah Valerie Bertinelli we you know grew up with her on one day at a time she was America's sweetheart for a while then she became Valerie Van Halen married was it Alex Van Halen um and she's uh, there's no way around it she is simply uh, adorable and um she's a fine actress she does a good job in this but as you said the casting you know, Poncho Barnes was uh, was a lot of things, but Chris, do you remember what Jaeger <laughs> said to describe her? He, I did an interview with him, uh, and uh, he he told his exact words were, uh, "She had a face that reminded me of a worm choking on a maggot." Is that's his exact <laughs> Just, quote? How do you even <laughs> how do you even do that? And of course. You know the the preposterousness of this whole thing is is that let's face it nobody ever uh, we've we've never once sat down and said boy that Chuck Yeager was kind of ugly you know <laughs> yeah, he yeah, was exactly. not a he was not a pretty man <laughs> so it's it's absurd but but that was the you know that was the standard of the day and everything else and it's it's just it's just flat out bizarre bizarre casting because Pontro Barnes was rough and tumble and rough around the edges, uh, but a fascinating, fascinating character. Um, and, uh, you know, deserved, uh, deserved an accurate portrayal. Um, you know, Valerie, as, uh, as Peter Griffin calls her on family guy, <laughs> Valerie Burton, Ernie, um, <laughs> did, uh, you know, sort of did what she could in the role, but it's uh, it's very much got that sort of quasi lifetime, you know, made for TV movie feel. Some cool flying in it. There's a, um, it's very anachronistic. She learns to fly in a in a tiger moth, um, 
uh, quite a few years before that particular one was built. But it's a very famous tiger moth known as Woody. So you know, cool airplanes, fun stuff to uh, fun stuff to look at. Um, you know, she does uh, she does her best, and it's you know, it's not uh, it's not a great movie, but it's fun. It's fun and watchable. It's got a place on my uh, on my shelf, but I have absolutely no standards when it comes to collecting <laughs> aviation movies. It's kind of like what Chris was saying, though, you know, about, um, you know, a movie introducing you to, uh, to a historical figure or an event. I mean, um, I remember that being on, you know, one of those uh, History Channel uh, movie features when I was a pretty young kid. And that was my introduction to the Poncho Barnes story. So, um, you know, it, it served its purpose. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that got you uh, got you interested and got you uh, got you looking at it. Around that same time, there was uh, there was a another made for TV movie. Again, just double checking the notes. I don't think this one ever came up. Um, for some reason, I associate the two together because it was a similar era and sort of a similar feel in the production. But it was uh, Helen Slater and Bruce Boxleitner um, in a movie called The Great Race. And it was about the uh, the Mac Robertson race, uh, 1934, from London to Sydney, Australia, and that's where you know we saw the De Havilland comets, um, oh, wow. uh, the Grosvenor House comet, and then uh, was it Black Magic, Roscoe Turner, who uh, I believe that's who Bruce, is, I think it's Bruce Boxleitner, might have been Barry Bostwick. I get those two mixed around. Um, I'll double check, but anyway, uh, so you've got Roscoe Turner, um, who's supposed to be flying a Boeing 247, but when the time, when they made this film, there was only one and still technically there's only one flyable Boeing 247 and that's the museum of flights in Seattle. And so they had an Avro Anson stand in for it, which I thought was kind of credible. It's a little bit too small, but it's, uh, it's another sort of unusual looking low wing twin engine tail dragger and stuff that would, that would stand in. So it's a, you know, it's a cheese ball made for TV thing, but lots of cool flying. Um, and, uh, you know, a sort of different series of types and, uh, a fun retelling of, a of an event that, that crazy big race that, uh, uh, we don't hear a lot about. Do you remember a show or a movie? I don't know if this was like a mini series, um, or, a or a movie, but it, it mainly focused on it was either Royal Air Force or Royal Canadian Air Force like flight training and it was all done around Avro Anson's and Tiger Moths and stuff like that. Do you have so to remember that? You yeah, you might well if, if it's the one I'm thinking of, you might be thinking of one I we did talk about that one a little bit. It was called For the Moment. It was uh Russell Crowe's first real movie. Oh, okay. okay. And that was uh, it was all about the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan. So yeah, check back to an earlier episode to uh to hear us uh, dig into that one a little bit, but that's the that's the only one that I'm that immediately comes to mind that might fit that description. It must be that one. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> you know, on a much much uh, more serious note, um, one of the the things I was most excited about about doing this episode was uh, uh, a TV series that I discovered thanks to a, a Facebook friend who uh, who made a reference to it, and then I I panicked. Um, I absolutely lost my mind because I hadn't heard of it or ever seen an episode. And so, you know, out comes the phone, open the Amazon app. Hey, look, it's available. You know, CBS makes it available, uh, publish on demand. And there was a show called Spencer's Pilots. And it, uh, it was one season aired in 19, uh, 1976. They did, uh, I think they did a total of 12 or 15 
episodes, but it was one of those things where only uh, uh, only about eleven of them aired, and um, I I tore through it. It was uh, it was absolutely fantastic. So you've got your two main characters. Um, what are their names? Cass Garrett and Stan Lewis are the are the names of the characters, and uh, Cass has the big flowing blonde hair and his you know, never learned how to button his shirt. Um, so, and then the other guys, the curly haired, slightly plucky, more comic, uh, you know, more comic half of the duo. But these two guys work for an FBO. They work for this, uh, you know, ex-World War II pilot named Spencer. And uh, it's just one of those things where every week uh, they get involved in some other ridiculous thing and they have to fly some crazy new airplane. Um, so you've got Frank Tallman and Art Scholl working together as aerial coordinators. So every single episode has some crazy cool flying in it. Uh, the very first episode uh, features uh, Joe Hughes, Super Steerman. Chris, you and I had talked about that just earlier today. The, uh, the, the very same one that's in our museum now uh, features very prominently. And you got Bill Bixby. Uh, playing basically playing the character of Joe Hughes. It's an air show pilot with a wing walker, and that's how the first episode kicks off. Um, uh, Eric Estrada is in it, so Ponch from Chips. I think this is right before right before Chips. Bob Crane, Hogan from oh, uh, wow. Hogan's Heroes, is in it. Um, it. So it's this sort of roundup of uh, everybody who's anybody in the 70s. But again, every single episode, there's one episode where... Um, they actually give a credible reason. It's the first time I've ever thought about this, but they actually have to make an emergency takeoff, which, you know, we usually joke, <laughs> so, well, there's no such thing as emergency takeoff. It's only emergency landings. But they've got this super Beach 18 that they had to land out on a, basically on a hillside, on a mountainside. And they've got to, they've got to take off. He's, he's either with one engine or with, you know, only like one engine at full power and the other one not producing much power. So you got this tricycle gear Beach 18 and the sagebrush, and they they fly it right off a cliff, in effect, to uh, to take off. And this is wow. you know it's obviously you know we're zoomed in tight and everything else, but um, it's a it's a, a crazy ridiculous stunt to watch. And the plot is so or the plots of every episode are so perfectly sort of formulaic seventies. You know, it's just you got the the two guys and they're always into something. Something's always going going wrong in the wrong way and there's you know every week somebody you know pulls a revolver out of their suit pocket and holds somebody else at gunpoint and there's a you know there's a mini hostage situation and stuff um it's just it's just wild but uh it is uh it is a kick it's a ton of fun well i was just uh just looking it up while you uh were talking about it and uh, I found the episode list, which I found amusing. The uh, the titles of these episodes. Yes. Uh, it goes: the drone, the prisoner, <laughs> the code, the crop duster, the matchbook, the hitchhiker, the search, the hunted, the sailplane, the explosives. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just and another the, week the, uh, for Tom's life at EAA. That's right. <laughs> yeah, typical uh, typical watch list. Yeah, yeah that sailplane episode. Um, it's sort of uh, it's a little bit of sort of speed in reverse, and that there's uh, you know I don't want to spoil it for anybody because I'm sure everybody's going to be watching this now. But uh, <laughs> there's this whole section where their boss Spencer is in this glider race, so tons of cool glider flying. In fact, you see a, uh, a 150 towing uh, towing a glider off this tiny little dirt strip, which is pretty unusual in and of itself. And uh, there's a, a bomb that uh, somebody puts in the sailplane because he needs revenge for something that happened in the <laughs> war. And 
the bomb is armed when he goes above 3,000 feet for the first time, and then it's set to go off uh, when he descends below it. Um, so, you know, lots and lots of tension there, and you've got uh, you've got our, our, our men, uh, Cass and... Uh, uh, what's his name? Cass and Stan are flying along and they're he doesn't have a radio in the glider, so they're yelling at him with a megaphone, telling him, you know, stay above three thousand feet. And I said, Okay, well he's in a glider, so he's only so much choice he really has there. But it's like uh, speed and, with a glider. That's exactly right, yeah. Um they uh and they do a nice job. They they have him in a two seat glider, but the the real actor is in the front seat and they obscure the rear uh the rear canopy just a little bit. And just kind of have it a little bit darker and kind of in shadow. So there's shots where you would swear that the real actor was in the glider by himself and possibly really doing the flying. But you had you, you know, you watch closely, you watch again, you see there's another pilot there. But but again, uh, you know, just silly, very watchable, harmless '70s era plots. But boy, just one good flying uh, episode after another. So for me, it belongs on the shelf uh, next to ones I know we had talked about. Uh, which would be the Blue Thunder TV series, um, stuff like that. How did you say there's a few areas where you can see like an EA sticker or something like that? Oh, yeah. So in the, the very first episode of Spencer's Pilots, uh, where he's flying, uh, we got Bill Bixby. Um, I think this was yeah, right before The Incredible Hulk. He's flying the Joe Hughes Stearman. And, uh, um, you know, he sees his Stearman flying around, and then, then we see some either rear projection or you know, stuff, close-ups of Bill Bixby as if he were flying, which of course he's not, but, and they've got his name, the character name stenciled under the, under the cockpit combing where it would normally say Joe Hughes, but right next to that is big winged EAA sticker. So every close-up of Bill Bixby in the cockpit, there's a nice EAA sticker right there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then plus, if you, you know, you, you like seeing that airplane, you get to come see it in our museum. Everybody wins. <laughs> well, you know, and speaking of aircraft, I mean, we have a few movie stars in our collection, um, but, you know, one we ought to touch on is uh, the Flyaway Home Airplane. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, f- for those who, who saw the movie, uh, or maybe didn't... Um, if, if the... So, in other words, everybody? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. So, for everybody. <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> so the movie... Which is who listens to this show, by the way. Exactly. Everybody, everybody should hear this. <laughs> <laughs> so, the movie bases around basically a, a young lady who goes to uh, live with her stepdad... And um, kind of uh, it gets attached to uh, a family of, I think in a movie it's it's a, a Canadian geese, right? Yeah, they they uh, imprint on her when they. Uh, I think what their their mother gets killed and then they imprint on her when they hatch. Right. Yeah. Right. Although, I, for the record, got to point this out, or my friends in Canada will lynch me. They are Canada geese. Oh, not so not Canadian geese. They're not Canada actually geese. Canadian geese. So. Oh, okay. Just uh, I'm here to help. <laughs> hey, I learned something today. <laughs> I think we all did, Chris. This will be the only thing I learned today, I guarantee you. <laughs> so basically, uh, you know, they have to. She wants to teach them how to fly, teach them how to how to uh, to, to migrate, and uh, they use an airplane to do it. Now, of course, this was a real operation, Operation Migration, um, that that actually did this in real life, and and this story is is kind of loosely based on the real one of the real events. Um, but the aircraft that's both in the movie and was used in the real Operation Migration is one of the aircraft that was donated to our museum a couple years ago. 
That is so cool. And if I remember right, uh, Operation Migration was focused primarily on the Sandhill Cranes. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the Sandhill Cranes, and and it was really weird. Like they had to wear, so they had so that they wouldn't imprint on people um, because in nature, you know, sometimes people aren't the best thing to have animals imprint on. Um, They had to basically never let these cranes see them outside of these goofy costumes. They had these really, really crazy. Um, looking spacesuits almost, so that it would hide what what a human looked like from them. Um, and that, in it, effect, they looked like just a, a big giant kind of unwieldy crane. I mean, they were they were all white, right, with yeah. a little bit of black trim, that kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. And um, it, and of course, one of those the suits is on display in the in the cockpit of the aircraft in the museum. Um, but uh, so they they would have to like go through this whole process of being around these these birds. And then eventually uh, go up and fly, you know, and and teach them how to form up on on the airplane, which naturally they just kind of know how to do. <laughs> and uh, and then you know these, this um, this amazing adventure of of actually helping them migrate. Now, for whatever reason, I didn't realize the air to bird pictures. I guess would be as pretty as they were. They were absolutely gorgeous photos um, that uh, that they shared with us. That that. Of, of this going on, it's just fantastic. It was just a really neat uh, well, adventure. And then, of course, a, a Green Dot alum, uh, Joe Duff, uh, he was one of the pilots yeah. of that, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, yep. and Joe Duff, who's, who's, he's one of the guys who's instrumental in donating the yeah. plane. Um, yeah, so now, now we have to get Jeff Daniels. Yeah, that's right. There you now, go. Now, which yeah. airplane? And, uh, uh, Anna Paquin, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And I was, was going to ask, which, uh, which airplane from the movie is that? Is it the, is it Jeff Daniels' one? I don't remember if it's his or hers. I, I can't remember, remember. Hers was actually like um, it like had like this appendage on it that made it actually look like a goose. Remember? Yeah. So maybe it's yeah. his. I, I'm not sure, but it is one of the ones used in the movie. Uh, and those, I will never forget the first time I saw even a still image of uh, uh, probably Bill Lishman, you know, doing one of the, some of those first formation flights with a with a flock of birds and how. You know, you see a still from it, and you think, well, that's what a lucky shot is that all airplane was passing by these birds, and they got it lined up just right. And then you realize, no, he's, you know, they're they're formating on him. And then when you see the air-to-air stuff, you see exactly how the, the muscles and the birds are moving and how their heads are positioned and all that stuff. I think it's just spectacular. Um, if you, for anybody who enjoyed, you know, Fly Away Home or uh, the, the sort of the nonfiction version, the documentary called Come On Geese about Bill Lishman and those early migration tests, uh, there's another documentary, um, no airplanes uh, seen in it, but airplanes used in filming called Winged Migration. Um, it's out of Australia and it's about maybe 20 years ago, right after the right after the turn of the century. And uh, um, I'm sorry, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's French. There was an Australian release of so French film. But anyway, um, just about an hour and a half of uh, utterly, uh, utterly just jaw-droppingly beautiful, um, primarily air-to-air footage of birds, uh, all different, uh, all different species, storks and pelicans and all kinds of things. And they used paragliders and balloons uh, in the filming of it. Um, you know, it's a very, very sedate, very uh, just visually stunning uh, documentary, um, but but well, well worth it. I love there was a, there was a, when Joe came to speak at the museum, there was a neat clip he played of, there was, they had a rope, uh, they eventually put it, it was a little string, but originally it was one of the, uh, um, like one of the, um, 
what do you want to call it? The electrical distributors, what do you want to call that? Uh, uh, in case the aircraft's hit by lightning, um, like a wick or whatever. Oh, sure, like an anti-static wick. Yes, or, thank yeah. you. That was a long time when not talking to people. Um, <laughs> and uh, so eventually they actually put a little string on it. But what would happen is uh, the cranes would get bored. And they would play with that that the the wick. So eventually, he tied a string out there, and he actually shot some video. These the birds would be flying, and they would. It's pretty effortless for them at some points, and they would get bored, so they would start like wanting to play with the string that was like kind of fluttering in the wing uh, off the wing of the airplane. So uh, I, I just thought that was kind of funny to watch these birds kind of <laughs> playing around with it. Well, it's funny you point out how they, how it is effortless for them and. You know what? You just try to figure out what would the birds be thinking if they, if they could really grasp that, you know what they do naturally and as you said effortlessly. And then there's there's us stomping around and building all these machines and trying to figure <laughs> out what we want to fly to. And you know, thank goodness we we cracked that nut. We figured it out. But uh, but wow. Well, guys, I'm looking at the list and I'm looking at the time and I'm realizing, uh, you know, we're we're never going to finish this series. We're going to have to do another one. I'm yeah, for absolutely. it. I'm ready. This is always fun to get together and and uh, and talk about this stuff. And and actually, I feel a little bit better because I was worried because one of the ones I wanted to bring up um, that I'm looking forward to, but I haven't had a chance to watch yet. Uh, there's a, a new HBO miniseries about uh, Alberto Santos Dumas, um, and I figured I would at least have seen the first episode by now, but uh, haven't seen it yet. So that'll be some good homework for me. So uh, uh, next time we get together to do one of these. Um, I will uh, have seen that, and I will be able to report on it accordingly. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, we didn't even get, it seems like there's going to be a whole episode on Zero Hour. Oh, my gosh, yes. We keep, <laughs> you know, zero, the Zero Hour airplane connection has been on our list. It's uh, If you remember the Saturday Night Live sketches... Uh, oh, where yeah. uh, uh, is it Will Forte plays Lindsey Buckingham and he goes on Keenan Thompson's <laughs> show and they always run out of time. Yeah, we'll, get to you, we'll get to you next week. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to you next time. I think that's, I think uh, Zero Hour is the Lindsey Buckingham of the Green Dot. <laughs> and uh, none of those are words I expected to put, uh, put together this morning when I got out of bed. But uh, anyway, I do want to uh, to do a quick, uh, quick hello to... Someone who is calling himself Brent Yu uh, left us a, a review just a couple of weeks ago on iTunes. Uh, really appreciate a good five-star review. Um, not only gave us five stars, but at the end of his review, he, he typed the words five stars with an exclamation point to show that he really means it. So, Brent, thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate uh you taking the time to leave us a review. Uh, to everyone else out there, thank you always uh, for keeping the feedback coming. You can you can comment uh, on these episodes when they go live on our on our blog at inspire.ea.org. You can always leave reviews, iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you consume your podcasts. But uh, as we always say, uh, the listener feedback is the reason we've been able to do this show and uh, why we're able to continue to do it. And uh, uh, Tom and Chris, what a joy it's been to uh, to uh, to sit and talk, and how nice it is to talk on uh, in this format as opposed to the the uh, the typical dial-in conference call where we've we've had meetings as we all work remotely, work from home. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been struggling mightily with awkward silences and people talking over each other, and just how difficult that is. So nice just to sit back and relax and and talk fun stuff with uh, with you two guys. Yeah, absolutely. Same here, guys. Uh always a good time and 
Uh, I was actually really looking forward to this kind of all week to get to do this. So, like, I get to talk to people yeah. about planes <laughs> and movies. Exactly. <laughs> it's almost kind of normal, just a little bit. Yeah, but, exactly. But thank goodness, uh, thank goodness for the internet and uh, and as, as always, there's a great meme that's been floating around it that uh, I think the first, you know, there's two pictures side by side, and one of them is probably. Um, you know, troops getting off landing craft at, uh, you know, Normandy on D-Day. And then the other one's a guy in his pajamas sitting on his couch watching Netflix. And it's like, you know, you've got this, you know, you're being <laughs> the greatest generation was called in their time of crisis to do these tremendous things. And you need to just put your pajamas on and watch the Netflix. You know, you can do this, you can get through it. So we will, of course, all get through this and, and, uh, and get things, uh, get things back to normal. Um, but regardless, uh, really happy uh, that we were able to uh, to pull together an episode. So many thanks to Ty for pulling all the strings to get this coordinated. Thank you once again, everybody out there for listening. Keep that feedback coming. Keep in touch. Uh, everybody stay healthy and happy. And uh, let us know the, the movies and TV shows uh, that we missed. Uh, so they, if they're not on our list, we, we want to talk about them next time. And with that, we'll catch up to you the next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. <laughs>